Welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and we are so delighted to be joined today by one of Connecticut's foremost journalists and a real journalistic legend, Chris Powell, who has worked for the Journal Inquirer since 1967, and he has been a reporter and an editor, and now he is a columnist. He was managing editor from 1974 until retiring from that position in 2018. But never fear, because you can read his columns, which are invariably informative, entertaining, and pointed on the Journal Inquirer. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Carol. You're too kind. Well, no, that's not usually my problem, Chris. So (laughs) (laughs) we are just so pleased you could be with us. As I was preparing for this, it was just a real treat to realize what a wonderful, wonderful career you have had in journalism first as a reporter and then as an editor. And I just wondered if, you know, you would think a minute. And as a reporter, you have been around and had a career with some real longevity. I didn't know if you had any thoughts about how, you know, journalism and and your career as a journalist, how things have changed a little bit um, between 1967 and now. Obviously, there's a perception that there was a lot more sort of shoe leather and this and that back in the day. I don't know whether that's true or just an invidious stereotype that we all sort of labor under. Well, the technology certainly has facilitated journalism, uh, you know, with the uh, advent of, of email and the, uh, and the Internet. You know, in the old days, uh, reporters would take their, uh, their copy to the train station and, you know, wait for the early evening train to head off to the uh, city and pick up the mail and and send their copy in that way. Uh, really? And yeah, that's you know the, that's what the trains did. They uh, you know they were carrying the mail. Uh, you know today, well, you know we we can just email it in from wherever we are. In fact, I, I heard the other day that uh, one Connecticut newspaper uh, is now hiring editors who live out of state uh, because they can function fairly well from wherever they are as long as they've got a an internet connection. They don't even have to live in the area where they're serving anymore. Now, I'm not sure that's a terribly good system. Uh, you know, people uh, in the in Chicago are writing headlines for the Hartford Current. They may not, you know, fully understand uh, what uh, the story is uh, is about. They may make mistakes. But you know, on, in 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 an ordinary sense, uh, this is this is entirely possible. Uh, I, I've done some. Uh, international travel in recent years for a nonprofit group that I'm uh, part of. And I've uh, managed to uh, stay in touch with, uh, with Connecticut and keep filing three Connecticut uh, columns a week from really, uh, you know, many continents in many different time zones. And I, I uh, especially enjoyed filing them from, from Asia because <laughs> when I was awake, everybody home was asleep and you know, they wouldn't bother me. Yeah, it wouldn't bother you, huh? That's good news. I know I, I am a big fan of not being bothered. So as you think back, do you have any story you covered near the beginning of your career that really sticks out in your mind um, that sort of was a trial by fire for you as a young journalist? Well, I don't know if it was young. I, I suspect that the uh, 
most serious uh, and uh, tense situation that uh, I was in with the Journal Enquirer was uh, the situation with Governor Rowland as his administration uh, was becoming corrupt and and then coming coming to an end. Uh, I did get a threatening phone call from his uh, chief of staff who informed me that uh, he was calling uh, on the instructions of the governor to uh, tell me that if, if the Journal Enquirer kept uh, reporting the uh, kind of stories that we were doing, there would be consequences. And uh, <clears throat> I sort of stiffened up and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, told him, well, okay, uh, you know, thanks for letting me know. But what the, he was really letting me know is that they were through because when they start Threatening people stupidly like that, uh, you know that they're, they're in an indefensible situation, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, our stories were correct. Uh, the, uh, the governor was engaged in, in corruption. He <clears throat> was going on for months, uh, even praising the Hartford Current, uh, because the Hartford Current was not covering the stories that the Journal Enquirer was, was covering. The, the Current was still gushing about Adrian's Landing, and uh, uh, it was only months later when the current got onto the corruption story that uh, the current began claiming credit for bringing down Roland, which I, I thought was uh, was was pretty funny. But hey, look, you know the, the 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 current came around on the Roland story. My only point is, you know, I I got a threatening phone call from the governor's chief of staff. Uh, warning us that they were going to get us if we kept uh, doing these stories and uh, as, as unpleasant as that, uh, that was, uh, it, it told me they were through, they were in a terribly weak uh, position that the stories were correct and that, uh, they were going to have to go and they did go. Yep. And, uh, in a strange sort of way, I would think it would be enormously affirming because, you know, sometimes when people are less than flattering toward Yankee Institute or its work, at least it lets you know that what you're doing matters and, uh, it's having an impact. Uh, yeah. And, in, in, in that sense, I suppose, but, you know, I had uh, looked at Roland as a, uh, possible alternative to, uh, the awfulness of ever growing and ever ineffectual government yep. in uh, Connecticut. And, uh, and he was just uh, corrupted by power in the end. So it was a, it was a great disappointment to, to me that uh, this was happening and that, uh, you know, the newspaper had to do its duty. And uh, it was it was sad, but we knew what we had to do. Well, speaking of which, you know, you allude to ever-growing government. So, I mean, given your longevity at the Journal Enquirer, you obviously remember a time well before the income tax, well before we had this government metastasis. Can you talk a little bit for those of us listening who, you know, don't recall a time when we didn't have this overgrown government stifling a lot of initiative and enterprise and prosperity in the state. You know, what Connecticut was like back at a time when it really was sort of the prosperous beacon of the Northeast? Yeah, I, I guess you could draw the uh, conclusion that uh, at least over the last 50 years, the bigger government in Connecticut has gotten the, uh, the less prosperous and the less civilized the, uh, the state is, uh, has become. I, I think that <laughs> that's part of what is making me a bitter old crack crank. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know in, about in old, that. In old age, uh, one of my, maybe the first conference I attended as a young reporter was 
I don't know, around 1970, maybe it was a year or two uh, earlier, there was a, a conference I recall, I think it was held at some place in West Hartford about, uh, about uh, you know, poverty and, uh, and, and racial concentration in the cities. And, you know, we got, had some big thinkers there about what are we going to do about this? And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a problem. And, you know, here, here we are, uh, you know, more than 50 years later, and it's worse. And <laughs> we've done all this stuff in the, in, in the name of uh, alleviating uh, poverty and improving education. And it's all failed. And I, I feel ripped off. And the more it fails, the more everyone seems to double down on the very policies that have created the failure. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, you know, whenever you create any new program or system or agency in, in government and it grows, eventually... It's you know self perpetuation takes over as its as its primary purpose. Uh, you know we 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 can't do anything about these these issues that fester. We can't do anything about failing policy in Connecticut because the systems we have set up uh, to address these problems are are now so big and employ so many people. Uh, their objectives have changed. Uh, the objective now is to sustain the system. It's it's not to solve the the, the problem. Uh, you, you look at uh, you know, you look at education in the state. Uh, you know the the test scores are, are are terrible. The attendance rates in the cities now are are appalling. Uh, you know, fifty eight percent of the kids in the New Haven public schools are classified as chronically absent. Forty four percent and and the Hartford schools, uh, I don't have the figures for the other city schools, but I'm sure that they're, they're, they're similar. Uh, but we can't do anything about it. You know, we got a welfare system that uh, uh, destroys the family and employs many uh, people, uh, many helpers in the process of destroying the family. We got, uh, you know, teacher unions that, uh, you know, are <clears throat> absolutely determined to maintain the, uh, the status quo. Uh, uh, we have uh, city officials who, who can't clamor for reform because they would have to indict so many of their own constituents for, for neglecting their children. Uh, and, you know, we've got state legislators who can't um, really do anything to address the, uh, uh, the problem for the, the same reason. Their constituents are, are, include many neglectful parents as well as uh, many government employees. Uh, now, I think the problem at, at, at the bottom is that uh, the government now is is far bigger in Connecticut than the civic virtue required to manage it effectively. Uh, it's just it's just you know too big that it has uh, uh, devoted itself to its own self-interest and, and distracted from uh, from solving the problems. And we never audit anything, of course. Uh, there's 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 never any policy that's audited. I think it was. Ten years ago, the legislature got rid of its, you know, program review and investigations committee. Yeah, no, it's true, and it calls to mind. I think it was Ronald Reagan who said a government program is the closest thing we see to uh, eternal life on Earth. <laughs> yeah, well, and look, I'm still fortunately on all the government and candidate press release lists, and honest to God, virtually every day, I'm I'm getting a an announcement from the governor or a member of, of Congress or, you know, somebody else announcing a new program. Yep. Uh, and 
we, we, we're getting dozens of programs every, every month and are things getting better? No, it's, it's all to ameliorate the, the worsening inability of people to take care of themselves. Well, you know, it's sad because uh, we have the wrong metric for success. You know, they measure success by how many new programs they create rather than how many people don't need new programs. And you're right, it is. It's a lot of self-perpetuation and again, metastasis, rather than trying to help people stand on their own two feet and have the dignity of a job and a life that's independent of the quote-unquote help that government offers. I'd be happy if we would you know, just audit these systems, these programs, to determine are they accomplishing what their, their, their nominal purposes are. You know, look, if, if we could if we could have perfect lives in the state and in the country by having the government run every aspect of our life and be you know totally dependent on government for for you know prosperous you know, happy productive fulfilling lives well i couldn't argue with it <laughs> uh, but, but is that the case Yes, no. In that case, I think we'd all be uh, sitting on rainbows and uh, eating lollipops 24-7. Well, maybe Uh, we can get robots to do all our work for us, but that day isn't here yet. I'm not sure I'd want that. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the newspaper business. So you were a reporter, and then you were an editor. And I've always been interested in the business. And can you help our listeners understand how what a reporter does sort of differs from an editor's work, and then how an editor is different than a managing editor. Because when I was reading all these titles, I was kind of fascinated, and you've done it all. So will you just sort of walk us through it a little bit? Look, editors are responsible for reporters. Reporters are the news gatherers, but they take assignments from from editors, and they submit their, their stories to editors for review, copy editing, alteration. Editors and reporters alike can conceive stories, uh, you know, with luck, uh, any reporter can go around his area of, of coverage uh, every day and just by looking at things, pick up uh, subjects that, uh, that should, be, uh, should be reported about. Uh, editors can do the same thing, but editors are responsible for what gets into the paper, ultimately. Uh, that- a managing editor, uh, <coughs> excuse me, has... Uh, uh, overall supervision of, of coverage. He also typically is, uh, is in charge of, uh, of, of hiring and, and dismissing personnel and assigning personnel and, and, and organizing uh, the, uh, the work of, uh, of the news organization. So, um, so you're the, that, that's the chief cat herder. Uh, yes, the, typically the managing editor is. Though of course, he typically answers to a publisher who may be uh, more or less involved in the news operation as well. And so as you've done all these posts, which one did you find the most personally rewarding? Oh, boy. Um, I, I, look, I think, you know, being managing editor was rewarding as much as it was a, a constant annoyance uh, because you <laughs> could uh, assign stories. And uh, uh, that, that's really a a great freedom, a great uh, responsibility. Um, you know, you can see things that need to be covered. You can decide what gets covered and, you know, what doesn't get covered. Uh, and that discretion can be uh, uh, used in, uh, uh, you know, the highest sense of uh, the public interest. It also can be used in the lowest sense of 
uh, advancing partisan politics. Uh, we forget in this, uh, this country that uh, the, the press in this country originated as uh, politically partisan organs. Uh, we had uh, papers that were, you know, frankly, the mouthpieces of, uh, of one political party or, or another. And that uh, that evolved over time when newspapers uh, discerned that there you know might be more money to be made and and being a little less partisan and trying to address a general audience. I think now the press is reverting to its uh, uh, politically partisan uh, uh, stance, uh, being uh, you know much you know much more democratic uh, on, on the whole than uh, than than Republican. Uh, you know you can. You can certainly spin the news uh, in, in in your direction now, and I think uh, the press has decided that uh, uh, maybe making money isn't as important to it anymore as ideological purity. But that's just my opinion. That's one of the things I was interested in your thoughts on, um, because there has been, you know, obviously there are two kinds of media bias. And with Connecticut Inside Investigator, of course, it runs pretty much under its own steam and with its own thought process and all, you know, independently. The thinking behind it was that there are two kinds of media bias. One is where you cover a story uh, and it's clearly tilted. The other kind seems to me to be much more insidious. And that is in terms of the stories that aren't covered. And that's where I see so many holes today, for example, in the national press. But more disturbingly, you know, it seems like there's this trend in the national press to help the government silence people. And that's what concerns me. I'm not really concerned with what people say. I'm just concerned with the fact that, you know, unless there's a a clear and present national security threat or something, that people have the right to speak. And what are your thoughts on that? It just seems as though the big national papers seem a little too comfortable with deplatforming and silencing and all of that. I'd say that today and always, the selection of every news story is basically a political act. And, you know, sometimes the politics is involved in that selection is is not politically uh, partisan, but it is arising from the politics of the people who choose to do the story. Uh, I mean, look, even the, uh, uh, the church lady coming in with a, uh, a notice about a potluck supper has got an angle. I mean, she wants to promote the potluck supper. Um, but look, when I was assigning stories, uh, uh, those assignments uh, arose uh, in essence from you know, my own politics, what I thought was important. Uh, if you were assigning a story, uh, uh, those assignments would arise from, you know, your own view of, of what was important. And these uh, uh, decisions, uh, you know, are different among, uh, you know, among different people. We, we all have uh, uh, <clears throat> our, our worldview. Uh, you know, we all uh, have our, uh, you know, broad-based politics anyway, and some of us have very partisan politics. So really the selection of every story is a political act to some extent. You know, as we wrap up here, one final question, Chris, what have you enjoyed commenting on more? Connecticut matters or, you know, I, I notice in your columns you comment on really state, local, and national. Has there been any level of, of news that has been a particular favorite of yours? Well, I, I don't know that anybody needs me to comment so much on national matters. There's a million people who who do that. Uh, I 
make a point of reading uh, all the uh, major state uh, daily papers every day and making notes, uh, keeping uh, track of, of stories, uh, looking for story subjects. Uh, uh, you know, that, that is a, uh, a function. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you choose a column topic? It's really, it's, you know, what interests me? What I, if I see something that I, <clears throat> I think is, is wrong, or if I see uh, uh, something that uh, uh, really relates to a policy issue that, uh, that interests me, uh, you know, I'll make a, I'll make a note of it. Uh, and, and that's something where, you know, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that good, Carol, to, <laughs> that, that I, I could make an impression on the national level uh, every day. There's uh, dozens of, of brilliant writers who, who can do that uh, hundred times. Well, perhaps times you underestimate I, yourself, but well, go ahead. Well, th- th- not in that respect, but there's not so many people doing it on the state level. Uh, certainly not uh, very many people keeping track of state issues as closely as I do. It's, that's, uh, that's, that, that's, a, that's a job that, uh, that I can do uh, that, uh, you know, will probably be better than what most people can do because I've been around for so long and I, I pay that much attention. Uh, it's I, I'm more likely to be able to excel in that respect than in than in you know other respects. So uh, I, I I can tell when I've written a good column. I can tell when when somebody's written a better column. And uh, uh, my my odds are better <laughs> if I stick to <laughs> Connecticut issues. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, you are extremely modest because. Uh, you you do write with excellence, and I know there are legions and legions and legions of us who are grateful for what you write, and um, you inform us and you entertain us, and we are profoundly grateful for your work at the Journal Inquirer, where people can find your three times a week columns. So thank you so much for having joined us on this edition of YCT Matters. We hope you'll join us again. Thanks for letting me harangue you, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure, and it was and a harangue. And we are grateful, as always, to our listeners for having joined us on this edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow. We hope you'll be with us for the next edition of YCT Matters. Have a great day. I'll show you around this place I call home.